And we're recording. We're recording. We are recording. Recording. <laughs> <laughs> The Mud Peddlers, a podcast where two nerdy ceramic artists share the behind the scenes of their worlds of clay. We're your hosts, Lindsay M. Dillon. And I am Dante of Earth Nation. All right, so this week on The Mud Peddlers, we are actually answering a question that wasn't originally intended as an answer to be answered, a question to be answered by The Mud Peddlers, but I did a AMA or ask me anything when I left for my trip for Morocco mm -hmm. and Spain. And uh, one of the person's questions I thought was, well, I mean, there are actually really many good insightful questions, but yes. this one, when I was, uh, we were trying to figure out what we were gonna talk about today, I was like, hey, what if we do this? Okay, so this question is from harta.vs. And they say, I hope you have safe travels. I'm just a beginner potter, but I have one more uh, general question. What was one of your biggest eureka moments when trying to master making a form or trying to create a glaze? And did you get there by trial and error? Or did you do a bunch of calculations and thinking? What do you think is the best way to make breakthroughs as an artist like that? Oh, I think I think those are all fantastic. This seems like three different questions. Yeah, that. it's it's a it's a lot. So. I have answers for all three. Yeah. <laughs> like I, Lindsay sent me this question. I want to say like a day and a half ago, maybe a day ago, and I immediately was like, I'm in the in the throes of realizing this right now. Yeah. A hundred percent. And. and for me, I kind of laughed because when I actually answered the question, the AMA, I kind of, my brain apparently stopped reading at Eureka moments because my immediate reaction was all of these like, Mine too. more of like emotional kind of realizations. But I think we can think of some like formation and glaze making Eureka moments. I mean, especially since you've yeah. done the, oh glaze, chemistry yeah, the glaze chemistry courses. Yeah. yeah. There's like three or four little pieces of information that not only have I realized myself, but were passed down to me from the classes mm -hmm. that I was like, okay, I'll try that. And once I did, I was like, okay, so that just works for everything. <laughs> <laughs> that just makes all of my glazes better until the, until the end of time. Okay, cool. 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 Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's, let's get into some of them. Well, uh, I want to first start with beginner pottery tips, okay. if, if that's what we're calling them. The Eureka sure. moments for like starting potters. I think so. Can we do that? Yeah. Okay. So the first thing that really helped me is that almost every shape on the wheel, every most shapes stem from mm -hmm. some dimension of a cylinder. Yeah. And I know that's a very basic thing, mm -hmm. but once you realize that, then you start concentrating on how to make a good proper cylinder that mm -hmm. doesn't twist, that has the right amount of thickness, is a certain amount of height, you understand the clay body you're working with has a certain amount of a uh, long or short work time. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, you stop caring about like, oh, big, tall shapes, <laughs> thin body cylinders like the pros. You're just like, man, I just wanna learn how to make a really good quality cylinder yeah. so that my shapes are standard and my clay is even so mm -hmm. it dries evenly. And that was like so freeing for oh, me. Just like, yeah. oh, okay, so it's just all about the cylinder. Yeah. I feel like that's why a lot of beginning classes, not all of them, but a lot of them will have an assignment where it's like make six cylinders yes. that are six inches tall yep. and, you know, the same width or whatever, you know, and like the cylinder making exercise is definitely a thing because it's, yeah. And then yeah. once I once I stemmed off of like, okay, make a good cylinder, mm -hmm. I started to realize the reasons why a cylinder would be quality or not, mm -hmm. such as like, you can tire out clay, 
based on the clay oh, you're using. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Number two, what is well, twist? Well, wait, we should, we should oh. go in and into that just a little bit more. Like, oh, yeah, sure. Or just to provide an example, like, even though I'm I'm looking at moving away from B-Mix with Grog because of the whole issue with the 3.5 absorption rate, even right. after it's vitrified, so it's like semi-vitreous instead of like fully vitrified. Right. So I'm looking at moving away from that clay, but the reason I like that clay is because if I'm learning a new shape, mm. It can deal with my, well, in general, it can deal with my bullshit of yeah. like, it can be stretched and then like pushed back in. Slap you it know? around a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, I can take it off the wheel and even if it warps a little as I'm taking it off the wheel, it doesn't stay that yeah. warped. And I can work with it for a while before it gets oversaturated. Whereas if you're working with like a porcelain, at least it's, again, it's been a while since I've worked with porcelain, so correct me if I'm wrong, but right. I kind of feel like porcelain is not the clay you work with if you are learning a new shape or you're going to be experimenting with the form on the wheel itself. Like I feel yeah. like with porcelain, you, you got to go into it knowing what you're going to make and what hand movements you're going to use to get there yeah. so that you're not stretching and the clay or, or contracting it. Does, it, it doesn't and then take your It doesn't take your bull yeah. crap. You yeah. know what I mean? It just yeah. doesn't like porcelain, the way I describe it to people who, and there's always, and I know I've talked about this before, there's always the beginner potter who's like, I want to learn how to work with porcelain yeah. because that's like the clay, right? Right, right. And the more experienced potters are generally like, well, no, not really. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but no, not really. And there's also, I mean, there's like plenty of, you know, cultural, sociological reasons why porcelain, yeah. a white clay body that was associated with like, you know. We used to call it China for a reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, not, so. not to say that it's not, it's, you can't use it for those reasons. Sure, sure. And, and, and if you do yeah. want to, you know, experiment with a shape on the wheel with clay, you, you can do that. It's 100%. just, it's just going to be harder is it's really just, what I'm, what I'm trying to say. But, right. Yeah. And the thing that I always say uh, for people who go down that path, especially beginners who are like, I want to work with porcelain as fast as possible. Cause that's mm -hmm. a modicum of being skilled, right? Yeah. First of all, not really. Mm -hmm. You're going to find someone who can, and, and please, Forgive my bluntness here. But you're gonna find someone who's better than you at throwing with just clay. You are you're gonna find it. You're gonna find sure. someone who's using garbage clay, who's using like an amalgamation of like B mix mm -hmm. and redstone and mm -hmm. porcelain and half and half that's throwing like fantastic shapes yeah. while you're blowing your eyes out trying to make sure that you don't get twists in your porcelain. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah, that actually low-key reminds me. That's like very like a shokugeki, yeah. like Food Wars kind of vibe. Yeah. Like when he wins the cooking competition. This is an anime, by the way. Yeah. Great anime. It's a cooking anime. It's a cooking anime. Yeah. And when like the guy, you know, wins the cooking competition with like the discount supermarket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like bless. Anyway, so twisting though, you would wanted to talk about twisting. Oh, I wanted to, I wanted to talk about twisting because the second that I realized that twisting is just a factor of friction in between your fingertips in certain parts of the cylinder, mm -hmm. it immediately became a non-issue for me. Mm, like the yeah. way I think about it is that as you're pulling, mm -hmm. your fingers, even though they're hydroplaning with water, uh -huh. are technically stopping a certain portion more over uh, more over the top part because uh, you're pulling as you go up, right? Yes, yes. Of the clay is right. technically going slower than the rest of the parts that's already been pulled or the bottom parts. Right, right. And if you stay too long on a specific spot or put too much friction on a specific spot, it will encourage twisting. Right. These, this can be kind of, I don't want to say mathed out, but it, there's variables. There are like the thickness of clay, mm -hmm. how short your clay is, how tall it is, you know, things of that nature, yeah. what kind of clay you're working with. But moreover, a good percentage of your twisting, if you are getting a lot of twisting, is just like you stayed too long pulling on one spot with not enough water. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And moreover, just like the fix to it is to just pull faster, really. 
Yeah. The high majority of the time, just pull faster and with less pressure. Yeah. So my, my biggest issue with twisting, which I will still sometimes get, is when I'm pulling the walls of my steins, because those are the largest shapes that I make. And for me, what normally causes twisting is my grabbing essentially too much clay. Oh. And so I'm pulling a lot, like there's a big old chunk of clay on the top part that I'm pulling, yeah. and I have that combined with basically making the walls and the bottom section like underneath my fingers as I'm pulling thinner than the too, top too thin yeah and that's that's the biggest thing for me so it's yeah so twisting is a big thing twisting is a thing that once you understand exactly why it's happening in your clay body you're like oh it's just not gonna happen anymore to me so that was definitely one of a, like a big oh eureka my. moment for I, you I just I under yeah, every clay has different variables in which like how long or short they are mm -hmm. based on their composition of course because just like glaze they're and made the of long, long or short just in case our listeners aren't really familiar with those oh, terms long being you can like stretch it very very wide you can work with it for a longer amount of time and short being the opposite of that where it's like I need to pull this in two pulls mm -hmm. like the pulse or it sling. starts cracking exactly. and things like that yeah. yeah yeah it doesn't have a lot of give it can't drive very unevenly like b-mix with grog you can mm -hmm. just kind of like leave out until it's try to <laughs> bless it yeah. takes so much sue mcleod actually just posted something on instagram i will try and post it on my instagram where she explains why certain clays crack and mm -hmm. she showed like basically the structure of clay yeah you've seen it right i have yeah and there's space that is not filled in between and i, I know this is wrong but the molecular structure right. of, of like how things are binded to, or the platelets or how they're binded together. Mm -hmm. And she was like, yeah, the less space there is in between them, the better the clay is, the more like compounded it is. Right, And right. the longer you can work with it and stretch. But if there's air in between those and it's not filled with something like sand or grog, <laughs> usually it's shorter and it's more difficult to work with. And she made a mm -hmm. whole like post about it. Please yeah. go check it out. Yeah, if I can, if I can find the, because I think if she listed, was it in her... Instagram. It was on Instagram. Okay, yeah, I'll see if I can find the link and I'll put it, drop it in the show notes because, yeah. like, we love Sue McCloud. If if y'all yeah. didn't know if already, <laughs> Sue McCloud's amazing. Sue's based on the cast. Yeah, she is. I don't know what that means. On but God. actually, I know what based is. Is she the goat? There can only oh, be like that, one goat. Oh, because that's greatest time. Yeah, there can only be oh, like right. one goat. Okay, all right. Yeah. Thank you for keeping me up with the lingo. It's okay. Yeah. But if you meet someone <laughs> who calls someone else, like, if, if someone's like, Biggie's the goat and, like, Tupac's the goat. <gasps> oh, because that's like yeah. that's the big like they're, East Coast West Coast. They're technically not wrong in any sense of the word, but there is an argument to be. Had. Okay, you know okay. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. Definitely. I hear you. I hear you. Okay, I have another wheel related one. Mm, okay, right? this someone said this to me one day, and I was like, "You're right. You're not a hundred percent right." Mm. But you know me, I talk in like ninety and eighty percent. Sure. Yeah, okay, yeah. The wheel is just a tool for making things round, and anything anything after that is where my real creative process comes in oh. because I can only, it's not really true, but I can get really good at making big shapes and thin shapes and mm -hmm. round shapes and certain shapes that are historically relevant and mm -hmm. X, Y, Z. But like at the end of the day, I am making a vessel or something that is round with different heights. Even when you make those right. little donuts on the wheel, yeah. that's just like a, a half an inch enclosed round. Right, right. You know, but then after that, if I want to make a square shape, I'll take it off the wheel and Morph it a little bit. If I want to mm -hmm. make something that, you know, the where you squeeze both sides together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like one of those thin bottles. Mm -hmm. Take it off the wheel, you know. But once somebody was like, yeah, the tool, the wheel is just a tool for making things round. But you can modify your work or, or alter it any way you want after that. Mm -hmm. Then I was like, oh, you're right. You're so right. Uh... He's like, yeah, aren't you just tired of making, like, round things? And I was like, no, I like that. And he goes, right. But, like, there's more to life than just, like, round like yes. cups and bowls and plates. And I was like, oh, so you're so, I'm sure I could give an example or two, 
but I'm also sure there's a hundred examples versus that of where you're you're right. Yeah, where yeah. It's just a tool for making things round, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. And so I've uh, within the last month I've started to expand. Like okay, we're gonna do we're gonna do some uh, silk screening. We're gonna do some color variation. I've started yeah. to experiment with like glazes a lot oh, more. Cool, cool. But it was again very freeing to just be like, oh yeah, I just kind of make round things with pretty colors on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is which is fine. Which I mean, because yeah, because to be honest, it's like I like I did a little bit of experimenting with different shapes, like essentially like throwing and altering the form. Yes. But yeah, like in my in my day to day work in the studio, I'm I. I'd be making the round things. I'd be making the round things. <laughs> and then I'd be making the round things thin, and I'd be making them tall. Mm -hmm. And different parts. And then people are impressed, because they go, ooh, the bottom's so round, and the top's so thin. Mm -hmm. And then tiny piece of paper go on top, bottleneck, very mm -hmm. impressive. Very impressive. Because kind of difficult. <laughs> but also still just round. Okay? <laughs> also just still just round. So I've gotten a lot more into like, oh, I'm going to carve this when I take mm. it off the wheel. I'm gonna alter this in some yeah, way, shape, or yeah. form. I'm gonna pound this part in, or like. Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my lord! But yeah, once once I realized, once I settled in with the idea that the high majority of the shapes on the wheel that I'm making are just round, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, well, I want to be more creative than just round. Huh. You know, and that start that start not to say not to say that that's bad if you just want to do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, I I don't know. I I want to go beyond just round. Mm -hmm. You know, and so that was a eureka moment for me where I was like, okay, well, I got to move past that. Mm. In, in order for me to grow as an artist personally, I need to move past round. I need to do texture. I need to do glazes. I need to do uh, I need to do altered forms. I need to do, I need to do something that's not round, because now that someone's pointed it out to me, I'm gonna go crazy just just making round. <laughs> Once someone's like, you just make round things. I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> oh, you're right, and it makes me angry. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of seems like so far, you know, since I know part of the question was like, did you arrive at these eureka moments by what is, I can't remember exactly what their terminology was, but essentially organically versus like making a lot of calculations. So it, it kind of sounds like so far, a mm -hmm. lot of it is the kind of organically coming to these like realizations or like people yeah. telling you, are there, do you have any examples of, you know, where calculations or things like that became through, through direct study, you came to the Eureka moments? Yeah. A large one, a lot of it's confirmation. So what will mm. happen, especially with my glazes, yeah. I will take a glaze and I will mess with it for a very long time. And then off of my experiences in firing, I'll have a hypothesis mm -hmm. and I'll go, regardless of other people's information at this point. Right. Like I don't know any, before I took the classes, I was doing this, but I'll be like, I think, I, th I don't think that works that way. Mm. You know, like everyone online, which is, which is a crazy sentence in the pottery community. You got to be careful. <laughs> yeah. Fa Facebook groups are wild out here. They'll just say <laughs> stuff with no proof whatsoever. I'm telling you. I'll do a lot of that and I'll go, I don't think they're correct. And then I'll, I'll kind of reevaluate. Like one thing was, again, Sue McLeod talked about specific gravity. Yeah. I, for a long time, without knowing anything else about specific gravity, was like, I think Randy's red is changing color based on the amount of water I put in it. Mm -hmm. Which to a chemist is a no duh. Oh, right, right. Right, but I didn't know I was making glazes. Yeah. And then Sue told me like, oh yeah, what's your specific gravity? And I'm like, what? And she goes, your water should be treated as an, as if it's an ingredient. And, mm -hmm. it, and it matters to how thick the application goes on the pot. And then- Dude, that that statement in and of itself is like eureka moment. Like thinking oh about God. water as an ingredient. Because yes. when I, like when I started making 
not formulating my own glazes, but mm -hmm. when I was taking already made glazes and making them at home, my mentor who kind of taught me how to make glazes mm -hmm. already had a recommendation for how much water to go in there and also what the hydrometer reading should be. Right. She didn't use specific gravity, but it's like I kind of had a sense of, of what to do. But when I started looking at possibly going outside of the resources and the glaze recipes that my mentor provided, I was looking through books and going like, well, how much water do I put in? Exactly. What should the hydrometer yeah. reading be? None of the recipes have it on None glaze of, it's even. Just, that's yeah. insane to me. So yeah. I really, I like that statement that water should be treated as an ingredient because it's like, because that's like a whole ass load of other researching than then you have to do as the glaze maker yep. to figure out what the specific gravity needs to be to get the look that is on the, and you have to test the testile, right. You And I was testing these, I was like, my Randy's red is not consistent whatsoever. Yeah. It didn't even come out red, it's coming out blue and purples and yellow. <laughs> you know, and then after a while I was like, oh, it needs to be in between like 1.2 and 1.3 specific gravity. Mm -hmm. And it needs to be held underneath the water for at least two seconds and then taken out. Right. And then that'll give me real consistency if I do it at this heat and the, you know, mm -hmm, but like, mm -hmm. I'm telling you, man, these Facebook people are wild. <laughs> so they're just like, yeah, stick your finger in it, and if you can't see your finger through the glaze, you're good. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, I mean, like, those are the kinds of techniques that it's like, it reminds me a little bit of how, like, before the thermometer, like, was invented, you know, people who were cooking would basically stick their hand inside the oven and go, yeah, feels about right. And it's like, okay, sure, that. that works. Like yeah. we've, we have survived as a species up to the point, sticking yeah. our hands in ovens and going, that should be the right cooking temperature. And it kind of works. It's been kind of working. Yeah, but we have something that works better. It hasn't been working. It's been working and sometimes it works well and sometimes it doesn't work well. Yeah. But I will say what we're doing, what I'm doing now is working consistently well. Yes, and that's, I feel like that's the difference. What I will say as well is after kind of the eureka moment of, of water and consistency and specific gravity, mm -hmm. I've realized that there's a lot of people who also don't, they are now where I was without specific gravity. Mm. So when you go to Glazy and you talk to other glaze makers, just yeah. about the, this is like one of five things that makes a good glaze, right? Mm -hmm. Specific gravity alone, they're just like, what? Yeah. There are so many pictures and recipes on Glazy, which is the big network of like glaze makers that put their research and stuff up there, mm -hmm. that just straight up do not put specific gravity, the uh, viscosity, using a hydrometer, and they do not put the milliliters of water in the recipes. Mm. And there's so many comments, and they're sort of like, this glaze isn't working for me, like, you know? <laughs> yeah. Not only that, just purity of chemicals alone is like, how do I test that? Yeah. You just gotta, I don't know, there's, there's, yeah, specific gravity is, not to go too deep into it, but it's definitely one that, like, you need to get down. Yeah. If you're making glazes. You need yeah. to know it. Yeah. And it's simple, too. Like, I would, I would argue in some ways it's easier than even using a hydrometer. Because, like, the issue that I ran into, this is, like, a small little side thing. Yeah. But the issue that I ran into sometimes with using the hydrometer is if I wanted to make, like, a small batch, then, like, the hydrometer was too long yeah. for the container that I had for the small batch. That's what she said. Yeah. Ha. Well. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so it's nice that like, no, basically as long as you have at least a hundred milliliters of a glaze that you're testing, at least. you can test the specific gravity. Yeah. And it's, you, you need the same equipment that you would need to make a glaze mm -hmm. that you would need to test specific gravity. Yeah. It's like a, a little tube. You don't even need a little tube. You just need to know where 100 milliliters or 50 milliliters is. Yeah, on a container. But you can you can buy a like a graduated cylinder. cylinder fairly cheaply online and they're actually probably cheaper than a probably cheaper than hydrometers. I would I would they think. Are. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're made of like 
plastic. I think hydrometers are a little bit more like metal and plastic in like a buoyancy thing. Yeah, so it floats yes, yes, yes. and there's like yeah, there's, there's a method to making it. This yeah. is just like it's a plastic container that has markings on it. Yeah. There you go. I have a glass one because I wanted to feel like an alchemist. Yeah. yeah. I really want an alchemist set up, but like what oh. I... I hella do too. I don't, what do I need it for? I'm trying to make my studio have an alchemist vibe to it, but it's got a long way to go. But I have little fairy lights on the ceiling, it so feel, that's It feels homey, aesthetic. if that helps. Yeah, that's good. If you put like a red Minecraft bed in the corner. Oh my god. I've been playing Minecraft. Oh shit. Yeah. Oh my god, that's I uh, got a couple other, I'm not going to say their names, because mm -hmm. they're out there. But I got a couple Potter friends to let me in their Minecraft <gasps> server. Fun! That's yeah. great. And like, I've built a giant glaze library, and I'm like, this is your level. And so I'm putting a lot of glaze information that I'm just not, not putting on glazy. In the Minecraft <laughs> server? What the hell? I didn't even know you could do that. Well, because, like, remember I developed you that glaze, right? Yeah, the, the red yeah, glaze? Yeah. Okay, so I made a different one. I made a, a better one, essentially, uh -huh. that I think you... I'm, yeah, I'm going to show it to you just so I can get okay. your reaction. Okay. But, like, I can't put this on glazy, and I this isn't secret Why can't you put it on glazy? I, you know, realistically, I've, I've been making glazes, and I find information that, much like me hypothesizing things, that mm -hmm. works for me personally, and then I ch sometimes try and share it with the community. Really, and this is, this is not on brand for the podcast right now, I'm sorry. Mm. It's really disheartening to form a hypothesis put glazes together, which is already difficult, weigh them out, the specific gravity, the viscosity, test them underneath certain temperatures, uh, put them on glazy, mm -hmm. figure out the flux ratios, put it in the calculator, figure out the aluminum to silica ratios, figure out the color, and then like put all that information on glazy only for one nerd with no evidence to the contrary to any of the research that I'm doing to just go, nuh-uh. And there was just one, yeah. there was like one or two people that would just argue with me on Instagram that- you Just ignore them. I, I think, ignore them. Think, think about how many people benefit from I, that information. They just sh they sh in the ice cream, Lindsay. Like everyone had ice, I was supplying ice cream to the whole hood. I think you should still can, and just, just, yeah. That's I, what I think. <laughs> You're yeah. right. I felt the vibe there. Yeah. But also like, it's, it's so, it's so weird for me to say something and then I get like, not a mountain of pushback, but yeah. enough pushback. And then I'm like, well, show me your research. Like, yeah. what have you found to the don't. contrary? And they have nothing. They just yeah. have like, well, my grandpa, who's a who's a potter from the 70s, said nah. -uh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I I just don't want to argue with you. And it's easier for me to just like keep the info from you and not argue with you because it benefit. It doesn't benefit me at all to share the information with you. It only benefits me to do my own research and keep it. And I'm I've already been sharing so much info with the community that like I'm I'm keeping this. You see that? Nice. I know it's nice. It's more orange than red though, I would say. Yeah, it's more orange than red, but mm -hmm. it's because I had a theory that red iron oxide when it's calcified, being the difference between yellow iron oxide and Cal red iron oxide. Calcined, I Cal think. Calcined? Calcined, because calcified is different. Calcined is when you basically put something like through the kiln, right? Because it, it's like it go, it's like fired, essentially. Yeah, I thought cal calcified was like when you fire something, essentially. No, that's calcined. Cal oh, cal I'm using the wrong word. Calcified is, uh, uh, I can't remember what it chemically means, but it's basically like when something like solidifies, kind of. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, calcined so, then. Right. So yellow iron oxide is the decalcined version of red iron oxide, right? And okay. I kept using red iron oxide mm. for all my reds, and I really wanted oxidation red. Yeah. Really badly. And one day I was like, well, this this We're is this is a caveman eureka moment, I okay. suppose. Where I was like, <laughs> caveman eureka well, moment. I was like, well, red iron oxide, red, but iron. Yellow iron oxide, yellow, but iron. <clears throat> Isn't yellow just a higher version of red, like a lighter version of red? 
Hmm. Which is not true. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I used it in a glaze uh -huh. and it turned out a lighter version of red. And then I was like, okay, so, <laughs> so yes. So the answer is yes. Yeah. And then I checked with some other people and they're like, no, no, it's basically the same exact thing as red iron oxide. Uh -huh. And I was like, but it's working better. Yeah. So is it purity? Like what, it, like mm -hmm. what, I don't know what you're saying, but like, this is a, this is. That's, yeah. This is pretty close to red mm -hmm. for an oxidation cone six, mm -hmm. which is difficult to do for most people. And it's not like I did it once. Like, I did it, like, multiple times yeah. on multiple clay bodies. Multiple times. Oh, that's pretty. You see what I'm saying? Like, this is, like, four pretty. different pots I'm showing you. Bro, you should put this online. That's no. real nice. No. That's real nice. No. Oh, baby. Sorry, that's a baby. <gasps> see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. This Is, is it shiny? It's kind of shiny. It's like a matte. It's more semi-matte. Semi-matte, yeah, But yeah, yeah. I developed it for you, and you're done with shiny. So, mm -hmm. like, I, I was like, I'm not sharing this, because, yeah. Anyway, All right, well, I'll work. bringing it back around. Dear listeners, I'm going to work on him, so I'm going to try and get him to release that glaze for a you. A few of you angered me, and now no one gets yeah, ice cream. Don't, yeah, don't listen, don't listen to those assholes. Stop, stop <laughs> Okay, all right. God <laughs> So I'm trying to think of a few different like technical eureka moments that I've had. Yeah. And there's a few small ones. So <laughs> so I've been working on stein shapes for a long time. This is like a kind of a, a it feels basic, you know, it's like one of those things that's like after you've had the eureka moment, it's like that, you know, like You're like I should have been doing. This. I should have been doing this. Yeah. yeah. So I kept trying to figure out like why my steins didn't look like the steins that I kept seeing elsewhere. What is it? What is it that makes a stein steiny, right? Yeah. So when I, when I realized like, oh, it's really about the proportion of the width of the rim to the width of the base. Yeah. And it was like, okay, so if I want to accentuate the steiny look, and again, admittedly, there's a bunch of different styles of steins. I'm mm -hmm. not saying that this is the one, one and only stein. Right. But I realized that like, oh, okay, if I want to consistently get this particular style of steiny shape, I need to be measuring the 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 width of the base and the width of the rim right so what i started doing is essentially i wanted to make sure that okay i wanted steins that were like six and a half inches tall greenware like when i'm throwing that's them. big yeah six and a half inches is big it's big yeah well, i mean of course it i think we can all agree that six and a half inches is large oh my god <laughs> i think everyone in this room yeah right, mm, yeah definitely. right now can agree six and a half inches is yeah it's huge right mm -hmm. yeah okay thank you yeah mm-hmm I just want to make sure we all agree oh yeah yeah, yeah. no no we're good thank we're good. you yeah uh-huh yeah anyway so, <laughs> <laughs> so six and a half inches tall but I also wanted to make sure that I kept the the overall like tall steiny proportions but also that the inside diameter was at least three inches you know, across. From, with the foot, with the... No, 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 at the, at the rim. At the rim? At the rim. Okay. Because generally I try and make my cups, if not three inches wide, just only very slightly narrower than that because otherwise people can't fit their hands right. inside. And admittedly, I, I, have, I have small hands in general, so there's plenty of people who can't, you know, fit their hands inside my cups to clean them. But I, so I wanted the steins to, anyway. Long story short, I had to figure out the, the right combination of height, of interior diameter at the rim, exterior diameter at the rim, and diameter of the rim of the foot. And realizing that it was just about the proportions and then figuring out how to measure those 
really allowed me to get a consistent yeah. style with with the steins um mm. and then from there it's just been adding like details kind of here and there to accentuate that shape even more but it's been uh that's definitely that was a big thing this is just a, a really brief one so i'll just mention this quickly but like weighing your clay like i, yeah, I not... just did a youtube video on that yes yeah. oh it's so basic but it's so many so people basic. don't do it i hate and doing it yeah i i love it because for me and again like if if you don't if if not how do i say if you don't care about consistency which is fine if yeah, you don't is, yeah. like you know it's just like it, it it not everyone needs to have like 20 cups with the same shape it's just yeah. more like when you get to the point where or if you get to the point where you want your cups to be consistent weighing your clay is the first step and it's the most important from there you know measuring your stuff that's the next step but if you're not starting out with the same amount of clay every time that consistency is harder to get takes more time and makes you less efficient i will say just as a mentality thing that i fought weighing my clay for a long time because as we've talked about many things being a scale, mm -hmm. I thought it would bring me closer to the scale of production potter, and I was trying to fight that so hard in the past. Oh. Where I was like, oh, if I weigh my clay, I'm making things consistent, and consistency is a thing that production potters value. Oh, that's interesting. And I don't want to do that. But then, you know, I talked to you and, like, Tim C. Yeah. And uh, John the Potter. Mm -hmm. And most of you kind of echoed the same thing of, like, well, if you make a cup, like, two or three of the same cup, just because you're into it, mm -hmm. right, and people like it, and it sells out, why wouldn't you just make more of that same cup? Yeah. If people want more of something, supply and demand, you got to give it to them. And so I started to like, well, if they want the same cup, I have to weigh out the clay, figure out what the mm -hmm. what it weighs, yeah, and then weigh the clay and then make two or three of those cups. So mm -hmm. now I have like people like my dragon mugs. I'm making a little bit more of those. Mm. People uh, enjoy my like avatar tumblers, yeah. like the avatar teacups. Uh -huh, uh -huh. I'm like, well, I gotta make like twenty of those every. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just just don't be afraid of the mentality. Yeah. You know. I'm old, so. <laughs> yeah, what are they? What is it they say? Boomer is a boomer isn't just an age; it's a it's a lifestyle. I'm or or it's a mentality. It's not an age, but it's being a boomer isn't an age; it's a mentality. I'm just like a cool, horny boomer. Mm, that's but fair. Definitely still there, you know. I'm like ah, new things. Still goaded with the sauce. <laughs> yeah. I know phrases. <laughs> I'm cultured internet I'm style. Culture. Hello, fellow kids. Um, do you have any more? Because I have like two more maximum. Le I I've got I've got a couple more. Okay, give them to me. Another big breakthrough on like a technical side was figuring out. So since I came from from a more like sculptural background with clay, I really struggled to find my own voice with um, functional work, mm -hmm. and. I experimented a lot with different techniques and I basically tried to do screen printing without screen printing. Like I didn't have our silk screening rather. Yeah. So I didn't have like the right stuff to do it. So anyway, I, I probably could have saved myself a lot of time, but I was like, I'm gonna experiment on my own. Um, that's where innovation comes. That's, that, that's good. That's true. But eh, I could have I saved myself some, some yeah, time. Definitely. But I think realizing that I could use rubber stamps for surface decoration was big. I have sort of bounced around between different modes of creating. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, again, come from a sculptural background, learn how to do more wheel throwing. I didn't necessarily consider myself a 2D artist particularly, but I found that the more that I do, you know, the rubber stamp designs, the more that I'm designing things in Photoshop, I'm sketching things out on my sketchbook. And so it, I guess I'll just say, I, this, hmm. This isn't very cohesive, <laughs> but, 
but I guess I'll just say... I think this is all uh, good information. Okay. If I was okay. hearing this was a new beginner potter, I would have been taking, like... I would have been like, okay, so I need to try this, this, and this. Okay, all and right. And that would take me a f***ing year to do. <laughs> this okay. is a good episode, I think. Okay, all right. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it is helpful. So, the rubber stamps provided an opportunity to explore 2D surface design, even though I came from a sculptural background. So in terms of looking at what kind of skills you can develop, mm -hmm. I guess I'll just say don't be afraid to try things you may not consider yourself necessarily like good at. Like I, I didn't really, it's really recently that I've even can, like started sharing more of my like drawings, more of my like stuff in my sketchbook. And again, all that's really on my Patreon mm -hmm. just cause I didn't really consider myself a 2D artist, mm -hmm. but the rubber stamps allowed me to explore that more and get better at it, I think. Yeah, so. like I silkscreen with my stuff. Yeah. I don't consider myself a silkscreen. Like Tim C is fantastic at like oh. drawing his little robots. Yeah. I can't draw. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like I can't draw. I pay someone to make silkscreen images that other people make for me and then I and then I put them on cups. Yeah. Pretty much. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can't do that, but if you can find a path like Lindsay has where she's like, I made something and I can make a stamp out of it and integrate that into my work. Go ahead. Don't don't box yourself into only ceramicist. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm gonna have to bleep that out. <laughs> plenty of beep, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> One giant eureka moment that I had was that soon after I started making glazes, uh, I realized after after so many hours of because I started like oh, I can make my own clay too mm -hmm. right I don't make my own clay but I realized very quickly that like oh clay is also just a recipe yeah yeah and because of that it affects the chemistry of your glazes and how you work with your clay as well mm -hmm. and this mm -hmm. is one of the reasons why I always test uh, my glazes on white and brown clay is because yeah. brown or red red clay rather has a certain amount of iron in it mm -hmm. and is for lack of a better term usually less pure usually comes with a bit of grog or sand in it mm -hmm. as for porcelain like pure porcelain or white clay usually has some type of talcum powder or talc base in it mm -hmm. that's changing now but yeah. in, in a general sense that's what it is but because they're made out of two different recipes like let's let's just say like one has 20% EPK and another one has EPK like EPK is Edwin Plastic Kaolin Edgar Edgar Plastic, thank you. <laughs> Edgar Plastic. Edgar Plastic, Kaolin. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like Edwin, I'm like Edwin sounds cooler. Ed Edwin does sound, it sounds right? like an alchemist made it. It is that. actually, it's a, it's an evil character from uh, the Baldur's Gate series. And you've discovered the Kaolin, Kaolin Mountain. Yes. But like, you, you start to realize that clay is just a recipe much like glazes, and because glaze is so dependent on its chemistry to come out different translucencies or has different alumina ratios or silica ratios. Clay has the same stuff, right? So those chemistries work together. Mm -hmm. When I started testing my glazes on, when I realized that Eureka moment, I started testing all my glazes on brown clay as well. Mm -hmm. Like my red, my new red glaze turns like real good red on redstone clay mm. because it's a bit more iron in it. Yeah. Right? But like on white clay, it looks a bit like uh, light red or orangish, mm -hmm. but like the second you realize that clay is also chemistry and that affects your glazes, you start thinking like, well, how can my glazes change if I use different clay bodies? Yeah. And your testing just opens up. Oh my God. See, to me, that sounds like intimidating because part of the question was also, how do you recommend artists kind of find those breakthrough moments? And part of me is like, well, I think it's just about continuing to experiment. But also, there, I think there gets to be this point where it's like, 
when you do realize how much oh, you yeah. don't know and yeah. how much experimentation you really can do. I think a lot of it is figuring out what you want to spend your time on. Yes. And knowing that just because you don't want to spend your time researching one particular thing doesn't mean you're any less of a ceramic artist. Yeah, I, of course. I definitely had that feeling of like, oh, I need to work up to using porcelain. You know, I felt embarrassed when people would ask me what kind of clay I used and I'd say, oh, you know, be mixed with grog, you know, like as though that was not good enough, you know? So, yeah, basic, basically. I'm a monster. I'm just like, I'll yeah. use whatever clay I want to. Yeah. Because I can. Yeah. Because I know the chemistry now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, a, which is a power move in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's... I basically, I saw that door open a little bit, and I'm like, nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you. Well, what, what you generally do, or at least what I generally did after that step, is I started to realize what clays are desirable for my glazes mm -hmm. and the workability of my stuff. And then I just stick to, like four, maybe five clay bodies now. Yeah, and that's even, that's even like a lot, like. That's a, yeah, usually yeah. most people stick with two or three, yeah. maximum. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is okay to like, amend what I just said, like in terms of working with different clays and stuff, it's okay to walk in that door a little bit. And I think that like opening the door is important, Yeah. but you don't have to like continue down that road. So like if you try out a couple different clays, realize that you don't want to keep experimenting and you go back to what you're doing before, that is also okay. There's... And for you, again, like you're working with five different clay bodies so that yeah. in and of itself opens up other opportunities for you to have eureka moments. Right. It's kind of like a skill branch. Like within, you know, within games, you learn fire, then fire, -a, yeah. then fire, -ga, yes. and then, you know. <laughs> fire, -ga. fire, -ga. well, there's some, um, there's some, there's certain things that like the juice is worth the squeeze and some things are not like, there's some things I'm not going to learn how to do. Mm -hmm. There's like, Chattering, I don't care for chattering anymore. Fair. I just don't, and I, I don't want to find the different variations of chattering. They're not cool enough for me anymore. And because of that, like, I'm not going to learn how to use a Steve's tool really well, because a Steve's tool is just like a wheel that chatters for you. Oh. Just, I'm just not, there's certain things that I'm like, I did it once, I dipped my toe in the water, I don't feel like swimming in that. Mm -hmm. it, it's not worth my time, my effort, just for me personally. Some yeah. people make entire careers off of, like, a tool, the and thing. that's all of them. Go for it. Yeah. But, yeah. like, there's certain things that I'm just like, meh. Yeah. Are there other things that you can think of in terms of, like, how people could kind of find their way to Eureka moments? And I guess, overall, how would you describe how you found yours? Again, like, more organic or more, like, stu study-oriented? I guess, like, both. I would say a lot of my Eureka moments came from the fact that I did a lot of research and studying, and then I did a lot of experimentation but I had no confirmation mm -hmm. of those things. And the second I found someone, like Matt Katz, the second yeah. I found someone, Rat and Rose Katz rather, mm -hmm. someone that echoed what I already thought, I was like, yes! Yeah. Like I was on the, like not only was I on the right path, this person just confirmed what I already thought. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's difficult to find those sources because number one, there's not a lot of them in the pottery world. Yeah. Uh, and number two, the ones that are there are like, there's mo I know I hearken on the Facebook groups a lot, but there's a lot of Facebook groups that are just like people who tell each other old husband and wife tales <laughs> of pottery that like, oh yeah, I met this one potter in Apple Hill and he put 1% copper in there and then a squirrel ate out of it and he died. <laughs> 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 and, and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. And then I yeah. meet, you know, a science, a, like an actual glaze chemist at Enseca and he's like, no, that's ridiculous. Who told mm -hmm. you that? And I'm like Facebook and he's like, okay, well don't go there. <laughs> no, Facebook is okay to go to. It's just knowing that gotta pick and choose with you yeah like be be aware that there can be misinformation that spreads 
you know? Because, I mean, again, like, Clay Buddies is an awesome Facebook group that has, like, a really strong and active community for learning stuff. That's actually kind of something that I was thinking about in terms of, like, how to, how to come to Eureka moments, is I think can sometimes be a combination of doing stuff on your own, but also having some kind of community to either share things or like it's important to talk to other people about the clay things or about non-clay things like for when we do the next episode because uh we've talked so much about the technical eureka moments that we're gonna go into the emotional or non-technical eureka moments next episode i don't have any emotional stuff for you 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 do i know you do because i I mean Lindsay's. i'll share it with Lindsay. Yeah. Maybe. I'm gonna make him share it with all of you. I'm gonna cry next time. We're gonna be openly weeping. Yep. You're just gonna hear like really uncomfortable mouths and like no sounds. <laughs> oh God, oh God, don't. I'm gonna have to hear that editing. <laughs> <laughs>